Sylvester and Peck on Sports is brought to you by Advanced Care Physical Therapy with five locations, including Harbor Center and the Dent Tower. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Sylvester and Peck on Sports podcast. I'm Paul Peck with Kevin Sylvester from buffalosportspage.com. We're here every week to talk about the big issues surrounding sports in western New York. And this week, we're going to uh, talk a little football because we haven't had a chance to have our buddy and NFL expert Greg Gabriel on in a little while. So we got a lot of catching up to do with Greg on the draft and the Bills and everything else. But, Kevin, as the Bills uh, opened OTAs this week, some uh, rather interesting headlines coming out of that that we'll talk to Greg about in a moment. Yeah, everybody's hurt. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> hurt. So, um, I mean, I just, you know. It, it yeah, is two May, pl- so. Yeah, but two players acquired uh, need surgery. and um, One player acquired. Yeah. Need surgery as well. Yeah, and another one. Uh, well, yeah, three of them need surgery now, yeah, right? So, Morris uh, Beasley and, and Croft, the tight end, yeah, who so broke let, his foot. So let's bring in Greg Gabriel, longtime NFL personnel executive, the author of the Pro Football Weekly Draft Guide, and just an NFL guru through and through joins us on the line. Greg, uh, should should anybody worry about injuries that pop up in the middle of May as it relates to some of these key players? How do you get hurt in the offseason? You know, that's <laughs> That one's, I mean, that's kind of baffling. I wonder what they were doing. Obviously, you, you know, you, even though you're not in OTAs till, till this week, you are practicing as a unit, you know, for an hour, hour and a half every day uh, on top of the conditioning work you're doing. But so obviously these things happen uh, in that type of situation. Uh, it's a shame. It's going to be a setback. I, I think uh, when you look at, you know, the Croft broke his foot, uh, what, was, what was this injury at Cincinnati? Because he had an injury. It wasn't the I believe thing, it was, was it? a broken foot, yeah, I, in, in okay, just seeing so, I mean, some that, of the reports. That, it may have been the same yeah, foot. That, yeah, that that could be a problem, but now that tells you why they went out and signed Lee Smith last week. And that drafted two tight ends. That, right, right. And, and, and when you look at the, the players they drafted, one is your proverbial – uh, wide tight end who plays inside can block, and that's Sweeney from Boston College. And then the other one is, is the Mississippi kid, Dawson Knox, and you know he isn't going to knock anybody off the, the line of scrimmage. He's a move tight end, not really a blocker. He can block all right on the move, but very athletic, fast uh, for a tight end, catches the ball very, very well. Just that Mississippi was so talented at the wide receiver position you know, the tight end really became the fourth option for them. So he didn't get the touches that you would like some tight ends to get. But the tape he has is pretty impressive. As it relates to Croft, now, if if four months is accurate, now you're talking about him missing the beginning of the season and his status probably being up in the air till about midseason. You know, I, I, that I you know, I, I you don't want to see anybody get hurt. But honestly, Greg, um, that gives opportunities to players who I think have much more upsides than a Tyler Croft does, and maybe in some way throwing a Knox and uh, and the Sweeney kid and the other core bunch of guys they have there into the mix earlier might not be the worst thing in the world. No, but the, you know they gave I don't have the contract details in front of me, but they gave Croft some pretty good money, and when you look at the type of players that they they have signed and drafted at that position, except for Dawson Knox. These guys are your old-fashioned wide tight ends, and 
that tells me that they want to be able to run the football. And then when you look at they, you know, drafted a, a running back in Devin Singletary, uh, pretty high in the draft, and, and you drafted an offensive lineman with your second pick, and you went outside a bunch of offensive linemen. This team wants to be able to run the football, and part of the to, part of the uh, way to do that successfully is to have a strong blocking tight end. Well. Three years, eighteen point seven five million dollars uh, for Tyler Croft was nine the guaranteed. Nine of it is guaranteed, um, and yeah, broken bonus for last year for the Bengals, and it's, again, here. that's enough money Ugh. that there was a commitment to him, right, Greg? Yeah. That's a, <laughs> right. that's Good guaranteed yeah. money. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean uh, the important the important money is the signing bonus because that's what you. You know, if he, if he doesn't make your team and you find out this foot is a, a problem that's going to go on, then uh, that's uh, the money you're going to end up losing. Yeah, 2.4. The they just had a yeah. tight end with a, a chronic injury. You know, the knee injury. Yeah, Charles Clay. Charles, Charles Clay they paid way more money to. Um, but whatever, this stuff happens. Right. It's part of doing business in the National Football League. But overall, uh, you know, OTAs, uh, you know, you, you I, I think you're tongue-in-cheek there, Greg. How do you get hurt in the offseason here? I mean, what value do they have, these, uh, you know, optional team activities? Uh, I think they have a a lot of value in that it, it gets your timing. Uh, your young players are, are learning the system. So when they hit training camp at the end of July, they're – full speed ahead because most of the offense has already been installed during these OTA periods. So uh, from that aspect and going back when I first came in the league, when they didn't have these things, you know, you had to go through that learning period, that installation period during training camp. And and, uh, that's one of the reasons you had so many double sessions. Well, the off season program between the, OTAs and the regular, you know, when you get into phase two of the off-season program, that allows the coaches to install most of the offense and most of the defense. And so the players hit the ground running when they get to training camp in July. So uh, you expect more from your players when camp starts. Granted, they may not be in in hitting condition uh, because it's the start of training camp, but from a mental aspect, they unless it's a guy who was acquired between the end of OTAs and the start of training camp, he should be up to speed with what they're trying to do on offense and defense. You uh, you touched on the running back position, and that's generated a lot of conversation here amongst Bills fans about mm-hmm. what's going on there. I think a lot of people were surprised by the pick of Singletary as high as he was, added to a group that already included McCoy, Gore, uh, T.J. Yeldon and a, and a couple of other more you know second level players, but but what where, where where's it going? Where's it going with the running back spot? And and ultimately, everybody wants to know what it means for Lashawn McCoy's future. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, and it's not going to surprise me if he is not part of the roster first game of the season in September. Uh, I think he's really his play dropped off tremendously last year. Carries a high salary not really going to cost them anything to get rid of him this year. I think they want to see what he's got left in the tank. And if he's not, you know, show, if he doesn't show improvement over his play last year, it wouldn't shock me if he's let go, if they try to trade him or if they outright release him, 
can be hard to trade a guy who's, what's he, 31 years old, a running back 31 years old. He's starting to have some wear and tear, and the production's going down. And with that kind of salary, you know, he'd be very, very difficult to trade. So it may be a situation where he ends up getting released. I would not have thought that at first, but they signed Frank Gore. They signed TJ Yeldon, who's a pretty good player in his own right. And then with the, with the drafting of Singletary, to me, that that's the writing on the wall. Thank you, because I, I've been done with LaShawn McCoy um, for months now, and drafting of the player uh, Singletary just uh, seals the deal for me. They And with Yeldon, as you mentioned, they don't need him anymore, uh, LaShawn McCoy, in my opinion. Well, you know, the thing with, with running backs, Kevin, is when they start to go downhill, it's not like a like a, an offensive lineman or sometimes a defensive lineman where you see a gradual drop-off in their play. It's like they're real good one year and terrible the next. It's like they take the express elevator down mm-hmm. and, and fall off a cliff, and uh, they start to lose their legs. And when you lose that explosiveness uh, and that quick-cutting ability, you're just not the same player you were, and you can't get the production. And we saw the lack of production a year ago, and, and for whatever reason, I – to me, all the moves are pointed that that he's really got to stand out of training camp. Now, I'm saying that, veterans have a way of doing that, especially during training camp. You know, you get your veteran days off. Uh, they know the offense. They know how to shine good then. What the coaches have to do in the front office has to do is really look at it closely and say, is he going to be like that in week eight? He might start off good, but is he going to be able to um keep that going through an entire 16-game season, or is it going to drop off after the first five or six weeks of the season? They say the same thing about puck-moving defensemen in the NHL, too. <laughs> no, seriously, it's not a slow decline. It is just instant boom. Yeah, uh, for, Steps gone, and they're gone. For background purposes from our friends at SpotTrack.com, uh, Shady's contract is $6.1 million this year, but if they cut him, only $2.6 million in dead cap space, so not anywhere the kind of number that would prevent that move from being made. All right, I know you had some interesting thoughts and you were a little bit not quite as all in as other people were on the selection or at least the player that Ed Oliver is tell everybody what some of your doubts were about him and where you see him fitting in on this defense well as far as a fit for the kind of player he is he's an ideal fit for for this scheme he can be a special three technique and I emphasize can be uh, I, I did not like his play in the 2018 season for the University of uh, Houston. It seemed like he took off. Now, in saying all that, I had a conversation, and, and we can say that I interviewed last week uh, for a situation in the XFL. We don't know if that's going to happen yet or not. And there was one of the people who was in the room, part of the interview, uh coached at Houston for Oliver. I don't know if he was there. He wasn't there this past year, but he was there, I I think, his second year and maybe his first and second year. And it was a lot different player. You go back and you look at the tape from 2016 to 2017, it's very impressive. And you would have expected him to take a huge jump then in 2018 and be one of the most dominating players. Because remember, a year ago, people were saying he could be the first pick in the draft and might be the most dominating defensive player in the country in 2018. That didn't happen. In my opinion, it looked like he he basically took the season off. He announced in August it was going to be his last season, that he was going to enter the draft. 
a lot of times when that happens, you know, you, you've made that announcement in your mind as far as your competitive nature means you kind of checked out on the season and you just lose that edge as a player. Now, can he get it back? You hope so. And if you look at the tape in the first two years, you see what kind of player he can be. But I think you have to have some concern based on on how he played last year. Now, going back to what this person told me last week, he said there was a huge disconnect uh, between Oliver and the head coach at Houston. Um, and it started in the second year there, and it just never got any better. And that's probably one of the reasons why he left. Uh, I think the coach was let go at the end of the season. Correct. Uh, and that And that may have played into the way that Oliver played in the 2018 season. And of course it didn't hurt. They had an injury on the line and they had a move, played a zero technique. He's not a zero. He's a three technique. And, and so he's playing out of position and granted that affected his production. But when you look at the intensity level of which he played during the season, I think that left a little bit to be desired, but the talents there, if, if, if they get the player that we saw in, in 16 and 17, Bill's got a hell of a player. Well, let's hope they get that guy because, I mean, they took him over perhaps the best offensive lineman in the draft, which many fans are rooting for. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was and, – and it could have been smokescreen on, on the Bills' part that they were looking to draft either uh, Hawkinson, the, the tight end uh, from Iowa, or Jonah Williams, the, the big tackle from Alabama, with their first pick. Hawkinson goes a couple picks before, but when you look at that video that the Bills put out, they didn't seem too upset that Hawkinson got drafted a couple slots before them. In fact, they looked kind of happy uh, because of that. So I, I think that reality is what we were hearing was was uh, more of a smokescreen type thing and not reality of what they wanted to do and the player they wanted was Ed Oliver. You uh, you knew these players. You knew the, the draft class better than anybody. Uh, any of the other draft picks for the Bills or even some of the undrafted kids um, kind of jump out at you, a, a guy to, that you're intrigued to see or maybe, frankly, one that you were surprised uh, that, that was picked maybe where they were? You know, I, you know, I, I think when you look at the first – Five picks, six picks, uh, Oliver, Cody Ford, Devin Singletary, Dawson Knox, Joseph from Florida, uh, Johnson, the safety from Miami. Those are all solid players and good picks for where they, they got them. I thought Joseph was actually a uh, a player that could go in the third or fourth round. They got him in the sixth, and the reason being is he didn't run as well as anticipated. Uh, Dawson Knox has a lot of upside, not going to be a blocker. He's going to be a move tight end, but he, because of his height, his speed and his athleticism, he can, uh, create mismatches for defense, uh, when trying to defend him. Singletary is a lot like McCoy, just not as fast or as explosive, but that real, uh, elusive guy who could make people miss in tight or in space doesn't have great time speed, but he plays faster. He's very, very explosive. Cody Ford, I think, will end up – I know he played tackle in the rookie minicamp. I think he'll be a guard who could be a, a Pro Bowl caliber guard uh, if that's where they, in, in fact, do play him in this uh, 2019 season. Uh, you know, we talked, we've talked. we talked an awful lot through the offseason and, uh, you know, and, and uh, about Tyree Jackson. Um, the two questions I have for you on, on the Tyree front were, you know, and I get this question asked a lot, 
surprised that he wasn't drafted? And then secondly, where he sits now with a chance to be the number three quarterback here, either on the roster or the practice squad, did it ultimately wind up in a decent position and situation for Tyree? You know, I, I think in, in reality, it turned out to be a very good situation for him uh, in that they they have a quarterback in place. They have a backup in, in place in Barkley. Uh, it's probably good that, that Anderson uh, retired. That's going to give Tyree more snaps in practice, both during this OTA period now and then once camp starts. Uh, it, it could be a really ideal situation for him. And if he plays the way you and I think he might be able to play, and you're going to see most of that in the preseason, not during the regular season, you know, that could lead itself to a situation where uh, he could be available in a trade and get back a lot more than you paid for him if he, in fact, plays real good in the preseason because people are always looking for quarterbacks. So his game time, his Super Bowl, as far as the first couple of years in the league, is going to be what he does in the preseason. Surprised that he didn't get drafted? Yeah, I am. I, I, I really am, and, and uh, I, I really have no reason why he didn't get drafted. You know, I haven't heard anybody say anything one way or the other. Uh, Might have been, you know, you look at the at his height. There haven't been a lot of guys that tall who've had success in the league. Got that long throwing motion, but I thought that he had tightened it up when you looked at the combine. Look at the tape of, the, uh, of his pro day. He had tightened up his throwing motion, but coaches always think, you know what, you get into the heat of battle, you're going to revert back to that long uh, release and throwing action that he has, and, and that can telegraph throws. And I think part of it is, too, he, when you look at the tape, game after game tape, yeah, well, where he had some big-time throws, I thought his overall play actually was not as good in 2018 as it was in 2017 uh, in that he tried to hit the home run too often instead of just settling back and take what's there, move the chains, get long drives for the offense, keep the uh, defense off the field. He kept going for the big play, and sometimes that bit him in the rear end. I, I don't want to hog this on you, Kevin. I just want to throw oh, one, no. more quick, one more quick question. Hog theory, away. <laughs> one more quick theory on it, because I've, I've been asked this a lot, Greg, and I've thought about it a little bit. Tyree coming out sort of surprised people in the NFL. I don't think they really thought he was coming out. So they didn't have a lot of chance to evaluate, even though he was coming off a very successful season. Had he come back and had the opportunity for the NFL to sort of have him on their list of quarterbacks, much like we, we read a lot about with Josh Allen and Darnold and all those guys, are, you know, they were being scouted through the whole year. Would that have helped or hurt Jackson in, in that maybe a longer evaluation period might have gotten the NFL to appreciate the physical skills and not worry so much about the, 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 the height and the, and the release and all that stuff? balance versus maybe he doesn't have as good a year as a senior. I, that That's that's something I've thought a little bit about. Well, you know, reality is we're never going to know the answer. True. Because he, cause he left. And so, you know, you, you could look at it both ways, and, and then you got to throw into the equation the fact that he may have transferred. And my looking at it, that would have been a mistake on his part because he would have been going into a new environment. Granted, he may have gone to a place that had – a better supporting cast than Buffalo has, 
But at the same time, he's learning a new offense, has to learn to play with these people, and it's in a limited amount of time. And is he going to be as comfortable in that situation as he was with his teammates in Buffalo? So there's a lot of factors that go into that. And without it happening, we're just throwing darts at the wall saying, you know, it may be, it could have, it should have. fact is, he's in a camp. He's in a good situation uh, for himself, and now it's up to him. I don't care if he, you know if you're a fifth-round pick, a free agent, or whatever. It, now it's what he does in camp and in the preseason that will determine if he has any success and any kind of future in the league. You, you mentioned you, you had interviewed um, for an XFL position. How about for the Jets position? That's <laughs> yeah. just open, Greg. He'd be perfect. Um. Number one, I think the biggest problem you have there, I might get in trouble saying this, is you're dealing with a, a, a young head coach who failed in Miami and still thinks he has all the answers. And uh, that I, I don't think that's the ideal situation uh, for anybody uh, going into, especially if it's somebody with their first general manager job. You know, that, that could end up being a disaster. And here it is the fact that it's, the general manager or the head coach that may be picking the general manager instead of the other way around. So if the head coach fails, the general manager is automatically going to fail, even though he had nothing to do with the hire. You know, the, the jets have gotten beat up pretty hard about the timing of the way this all went down. Um, having let Mike McCagnan spend all this money and sign all these players in the offseason only to be fired right after the draft when ownership had to have a feel that they were going to make this move or not. Um, from NFL circles, what what's the take on that? Was, was that a, a ridiculously crazy scenario or not maybe as unusual as people think it is? Well, I'll tell you a little story. In 2001, when I went to Chicago, we went there in June. Jerry Angelo got that job as general manager in June. And uh, our first season, we won the NFC North. I think it was called the NFC Central back then. Then it switched to the NFC North. And then uh, three years later, we were in a Super Bowl. So it didn't hurt us at all. Uh, and it was the same type of scenario that – the guy who was running the draft and, and, and he didn't have the general manager's uh, power at that time or, or title at that time, but he had pretty much the same control. Uh, he was let go after the draft. And that was Mark Hatley who was uh, now deceased. Uh, he was let go after the draft and, and they went through a, a very big uh, interview process and, and uh, actually a former bill front office employee was considered to be the, the uh, favorite for that situation. And that was uh, Tom Modrak. Uh, and he was being pushed uh, very hard by uh, Tom Donahoe at the time as the guy, and they were trying some power plays at the league meetings in Maine. It didn't work, and that's how Angelo ended up getting the job. So it's not crazy unusual, the timing of all this? No, I, you know, I, I, I think if you go back and look over the last 10 years, you're going to see it happens a little bit more than you thought. All right, so well, we'll see how it works out for the Jets um, with that, just uh, how it came about, we, we won't get into that, but it's just an interesting uh, rumors on how it all came about uh, with the New York Jets, especially for a guy who spent – here's the unusual part to me, though, Greg. I mean, all the money the Jets spent in free agency. Um, Apparently on players that the head coach right. didn't really want. Yeah, that's, uh, that, to me, what, what, what makes it interesting. No, and, and, and you're right. I mean, would, 
would they have gone out and signed Bell and gave him that kind of money if, if McCagnin had not been the GM? But here's the interesting thing. Two and a half, three weeks before the draft, I think everybody in the NFL knew Mike McCagnin was done except Mike McCagnin. (laughs) (laughs) It it was known throughout the league that he wasn't going to be around. The surprise was that it didn't happen two or three days after the draft, and it it dragged on for another three weeks. And, And maybe it's because ownership was saying, well, we didn't want to make it that obvious. Who knows? But, you know, I've been hearing that for weeks. Other people had. That Joe Douglas's name has been floated around for a long time. And, and you know, in conversations with people, that, that that was what was going on. And, and you know, t- to me, the biggest surprise in the whole thing was that it took three weeks after the draft for, the, for, this, uh, for Mike to get fired and not two days. All right, we'll wrap things up here with you, Greg. Uh, anything else around the NFL that uh, caught your attention? Anything buzzing? Anything uh, in your league circles of sources and people that you talk to that's become that, that people are talking a lot about? A, a team, a move, a, a rule, anything like that? I'll, I'll, we'll leave you with your, uh, with your, uh, your platform here to, to, to tell us something interesting. No, not really. I, you know, I think um, McCoy getting let go by Tampa, I, even though that had been rumored uh, because of the money he was going to make. I think that's a, a surprise. He still didn't have the season last year that he's had in previous years, but he's still a quality football player. Uh, and the timing of it is a little bit of a surprise. If you knew you weren't going to um, have him around for the season, why did you wait until almost June to let him go or the middle of May to let him go? Why didn't you let him go in April or, or, or March? You know, when when you knew he wasn't going to be part of the future of that franchise with the new head coach and Arians. So uh, other than that, I think it, it's pretty much been part of the course. The, the Giants are getting killed for drafting Daniel Jones, and they'll continue to get killed for it in, in, until Jones turns out to be a good quarterback. I think a lot of it is, is very similar to what went on here in Chicago when Mitch Trubisky got drafted. Uh, and, and, and the reason being is that it's a name the media wasn't expecting, even though, again, around the league, that's what everybody thought the Giants were going to do. They didn't think they'd necessarily take him at six, but everybody knew the Giants were going to take Daniel Jones. All right. Always good to get uh, caught up with Greg Gabriel, the uh, NFL former NFL personnel man and author of the Pro Football Week Draft Guide. Greg, always good to get your NFL insight. Enjoy your summer. Thank you so much, guys, and we'll talk in the fall, maybe. You got right. it. All right. Always like to hear what Greg has to say, particularly when it comes to draft picks. Some pretty cool insight into uh, what what's going on there. I want to leave everybody, Kevin, with uh, your thoughts, because we talked about it on last week's podcast about the hiring of Ralph Kruger when we thought it was going to happen, and then later that day, I think it, or the next day, it did happen. Leave everybody here as we wrap up this edition of the Sylvester and Peck on Sports Podcast with your thoughts about a new Sabres head coach. <laughs> You're laughing at me. Well, I just, I'm trying to think that I did I drop my Freddy Krueger line like everybody, I think you right? Did, yes. Okay, probably. I think you did. Um, listen, I, I, at this juncture, oh, okay, you know, the one thing I, I, I guess that I've liked from everything you heard is, you know, how intelligent he is, um, and he's a leader. Okay, great. The, that's what you need in a head coach. It's a second go-around. He had a short go-around, you know, in that strike-shortened season, uh, lockout-shortened season with the Edmonton Oilers. 
and the young players, and everybody at Edmonton said it was a mistake letting this guy go. Well, if that was the case, I just want to, why did it take so long for him to get back in the National Hockey League? Um, that doesn't mean he's going to be bad or good. We're going to have to wait and see. But they've got to fix the roster. They need goaltending. They need better goaltending and better defense. And they've got some injuries there, and they've got some things they need to do uh, on that blue line and back end and improve things. And still, still, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not confident that Jeff Skinner is going to be in the, in the blue and gold next year with a 50th patch or not. Yeah. Because I, he's gone this far, and my experience tells me, Paul, when a player goes this far, it is 99% sure he's not going to be on the roster next year. And I just don't think the hiring of this coach or any coach is enough of a factor to make Jeff Skinner decide one way or the other. Let's be honest. We know what this is all about. It's all about how he's going to get paid. I spoke with, uh, did an interview with a longtime NHL commentator, one of the greatest players in USA hockey history. You can guess who it is. Um, and I asked him about Ralph Kruger, and he just said, this was for a golf interview. He goes, I don't think about him. <laughs> I never, I don't know anything about him. Never, ever. Uh, don't I don't hate that, though. I don't. Which is fine. I don't hate yeah. that. I mean, and I, and I like that he seems to be thinking he seems to think about things differently now sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't um but he just seems to come at it based on not having been an nhl guy all his life and being head of a soccer team and 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 you know just coached internationally he, he's gonna bring a little bit of a different direction we saw what a core nhl guy up through the ranks assistant didn't work the last time well around. but but listen but it has worked with the Blues. Sure it has. Right? And Craig Berube. Well, right. it's also his second go-around being a head coach. True. And Berube's not the uh, biggest analytics guy. Now there's Rod Brindamore. Um, but doesn't mean they discount him, by the way. Doesn't mean they discount him. It doesn't have to be analytics. It's just maybe a different way of thinking. I, I don't hate what, what, what Kruger appears to be bringing is a little bit of a different way of thinking, having come from different places. Does that make sense? Well, they're going to kick the puck a whole lot more. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Well said. Well said. All right. So uh, the Skinner thing will certainly be watching. I sense that could very well be one of our future uh, Sylvester and Peck on Sports podcasts. Uh, we're also going to get into something here uh, on 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 this podcast of bringing back some interviews with some great names from the past, some Bills and Sabers. We're working on that for you. So we'll have some fun with some blasts from the past uh, over the course of the summer. And then don't forget to check in on buffalosportspage.com and Bud Bailey's outstanding top 100 trades in Buffalo sports history. You'll see some names and some trades in there that you'll either remember and hated or loved or some ones you didn't remember. It's pretty cool stuff, as always, by Bud Bailey. We'll keep you on top of everything going on in sports. We thank Greg Gabriel. And, of course, for Kevin Sylvester, I'm Paul Peck. Thanks for listening to the Sylvester Peck on Sports Podcast.